I'm Banning Air, and you're listening to Season 7 of the Afropop Close-Up Podcast, where we go beyond the music into politics, religion, history, and culture. In this episode, Abe Levine tells the remarkable story of Congolese Minnesota-based Sukus guitarist Siyama Matuzungidi. Here's Abi with Making Waves, a Congolese guitarist tests his range. I was about seven years old when I first felt the urge to dance. An African music ensemble was making a special performance at Lincoln Elementary School in Brookline, Massachusetts, and I was one of a few kids in the auditorium who opted in. Their performance transmitted a wave of joy in my body like I'd never experienced before. An ear-to-ear smile plastered itself on my face, and I desperately wanted to get up out of my seat and dance, and I would have had I not been such a shy guy. It would take a couple decades for me to undergo a comparable tonal catharsis. I met Siyama and his partner Dallas Johnson in Minneapolis. Their voices beckoned audience members, whether 8 or 80 years old, including my father, to join in their performances. What I didn't know was that Siyama was playing the sound of joy itself, Congolese sukus. Moreover, it had taken him years of reinvention and border crossings to create a space for his music and voice in America. I want to take you along Siyama's unlikely journey, from a boy with dreams, to a young rhythm guitarist led by his gifted hands, to a concert musician who weaves together disparate traditions and techniques into songs from the heart of Africa. The song we're hearing is Yale Yale. This next song, Malembe, deals with facing the unknown. Siyama and Dallas performed at mid-pandemic in a virtual concert last summer. This song is called Malembe. Malembe means step by step. Introduce yourself, just tell me your full name. My full name is Siyama Matuzungidi. I'm from the region of Bakongo in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Siyama's relationship to music begins in the countryside, in a small village called Kebola. I was born and raised in a seminary of priests because my parents worked there. Growing up was so nice being a kid, but I didn't know back then. I always wanted to be in a big city. Siyama grew up hearing traditional music in the village, known as ancestry music, and also rumba ballads from his dad's wind-up Victrola record player. But it was an emerging sound and movement called sukus that made his heart skip a beat. I was 12, uh, I was just interested in listening to music. When I heard sukus, I was like, wow. That guitar is so interesting. How do they do it? We had one radio. We, we have to kind of like a take turn. <laughs> My dad will listen for news, and kids uh, like me will listen for music. 
because my dad doesn't want to listen to music. So he's like, oh, Dad, the news is finished. Can I get the radio? Siyama had to get his hands on a guitar. When his attempts at making his own failed, he turned to a priest at the local seminary for guidance. So then the priest said, I will teach you, but only piano, not guitar. I said, I don't really want to learn piano. He said, he said, no, piano is good, so you can be cheap playing in our church. I'm like, oh man, I don't want to play in the church. The man's hands were destined for strings, not keys. Then the priest said, we have guitars, but I don't play guitar. If I give you a guitar, I can find somebody to teach you. I knew I won't find anybody, but I just said, yeah. Siyama did find a teacher. At the same time that he took to learning the electric guitar, a new kind of rhythm and performance came to town, which would change music altogether. The room, uh, they were dancing, but you dance just slow, you know, on the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when Sukus came, the dancers, singers will dance like they're crazy. They look like they come from heaven. It was as if a lightning bolt struck, creating a fissure between the old and the new. And Siyama wanted a jolt. Oh, I think I can do that. I can be big. I'm going to go to Nishas and be star myself. Siyama told his friends about his ambitions to make it big in Kinshasa. You will see me. My parents want me to go for two weeks, but I might not come back. It would take him nearly 40 years to return. This is Ngoya, a song about the friends Siyama had to leave behind. Because I can't see them when I need them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Siyama came to live with his uncle, who had no idea about his musical ambitions. It was 1971, and Siyama was 17. When I left the, the seminary, I told my uncle when I come to Kinshasa, I didn't want to mention I want to be a musician, because he would be like, uh, don't come. Before coming to Kinshasa, Siyama had been following a band that was all the rage amongst his peers. They took their name from a dance made popular by another band called Skaiko Langa Langa. They had a dance called Kavasha. So the dance was big too. Everyone loved it. So the leader of band Kavasha was friends to Zaiko Langa Langa. Said, I want to use the Kavasha name to make my band. They said, oh, okay. Unlike many of the bands at the time, they were a group of youngsters, like Siyama, but on another level, or so it seemed. And then the neighbor of my uncle is a guitarist of Zaiko Langa Langa. He asked Siyama, Siyama, what did you want? I said, I want to be a musician. I want to play. Competition was very big. So being in the cover shop was like a dream for me, because you can just come from a little village and jump in Kinshasa, and then they're just like, ah, no. Usually, they, they will kind of push you because you are not one of them. The winds of fate were pushing Siyama forward, or rather, someone somewhere was pulling strings. said, okay, I will take you to Kavasha. I'm like, Kavasha? The leader just saw me like, oh, he loved me. Even he said, your uncle and you get along about music thing. I said, um, not really. I said, if not, come live with me. You are in Kavasha now. This is Bomoto. 
The first song Siyama composed for Kavasha. Siyama's arrival coincided with the movement to reinstill pride in Congolese identity. At this time, President Mobutu was mandating that all European names of streets, buildings, and even the people themselves change to Congolese names. He had been inspired by a trip to Maoist China. And then when he went back to to Congo, he said, you know what? I just want to be Congolese to be Congolese. No more Christian names. Even street names have to change. And maybe the church too. No white statues all over the, the church. <laughs> Despite the sense of national unity, musicians creating the culture had to fight for scraps. This is Siyama's wife and co-singer Dallas Johnson describing a typical day at the studio. People, the musicians would wait outside the studio if they knew there was a session that day, and the producer and the singer could even pick out of the crowd of musicians who they wanted. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there was a lot of competition, and you had to be super proficient, but also really catchy and have mm-hmm. cool, interesting ways to play your instrument that would be, uh, that would elevate the singer. Yeah, the style I was playing at the time was very catchy and everyone wanted to play kind of like that. They even called him Mwalimu, or teacher in Swahili. Guitarist was coming, then they called Mwalimu. They said, Mwalimu, siyama, like a teacher, siyama. I'm like, oh, okay, I will accept that. But on records, it was the lead singer who would gain name recognition. Once he shared his songs, they were no longer his. Such was the case with a song and woman by the name of Sicily, who he met in Nairobi, Kenya. I was in East Africa already, so I left uh, Kavasha. I was in the band called Viva Makale. One day we were just performing in the bar. A group of young girls came, and one of them was Sicily. We became lovers. I just like, I'm gonna surprise her by singing. Siyama's muse was not as doe-eyed about the melody of his dreams. She warned him. What? That you, you know, too much bring problem, but she was right. Little did Siyama know, he was also being courted. And this guy, his name was Jimmy Monimambo, came to me and said, I wanna be doing recordings with you. His band was Shika Shika. Siyama agreed to record with Shika Shika. One day, recording in the booth, Moni Mambo inquired of his musicians. I need one song. Who has a song here can put in my record? I said, I have one, but it's not that great. Oh, really? It's the singing. Then I sang it like, oh, that's a beautiful song. So then we practice for several times and then we record it. gained much acclaim. Unfortunately for Siyama, Sicily's father wasn't as enamored. He heard the tune and decided it was time to leave town. Moreover, while the song blew up, Siyama remained in the shadows. Jimmy Money Mom. He's the one singing. He's the one we have put in your record. We'll give credit to him. So my songs, I never got credit to it. This was a part of a broader trend. While Sukus blossomed, few reaped the rewards of fame and fair compensation. 
Despite playing shows from Kinshasa to Nairobi, Siama didn't gain the fame he once sought. But that was the way they used to treat us. I just accept, I'm like, actually, you don't have to be a star. Just do what makes you feel happy. And that made, made me feel happy, just being accepted in Kinshasa and being the band. He played because his soul demanded it. And in the golden era of Congolese music in the 70s and 80s, Siama featured in over 100 singles. Here he is with Viva Makale playing Safari, a song about traveling across East Africa from Uganda to Kenya. Sometimes Siama and his mates had to play to survive. Speaking of which, I forgot to mention how he made it into Uganda with Kavasha in the first place. So we were in Kinshasa, just doing a thing. The one person just appears to us and said, oh, I have an uncle who's looking for bands in Uganda. At the Ugandan-Congolese border, they told the guards they weren't staying long. In fact, they just want to go uh, just for a walk. <laughs> For a walk across, and then they said, how can we believe if we, you are musicians? Then we said, oh, we are the musician of Kavasha. Kavasha? Oh, do you know this song, Vic Shamashama? Can you sing it? And uh, who is the guitarist? I'm like, I'm the guitarist here. They said, okay, play your part. So then I started. Who is the singer? The guards let him pass. Siyama and his mates didn't realize he'd be playing at a bar managed by Idi Amin's nephew, and later for the man himself. They'd eventually have to flee to Nairobi under the cover of night. There, things were a little less hectic, but no less exhausting. You had to play like from Tuesday to Sunday, every night. This means 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. and then you don't have nothing in the pocket, maybe just a little bit. Siyama continued to play for a variety of bands in Kenya. He even took his skills abroad to Japan and Dubai. After the international tour ended unexpectedly, and he was left without a next gig, his partner at the time made a proposal. I met a woman who was born in Duluth. Uh, asked me like, oh, let's just move to the US. I was like, really? Oh, that would be hard for me. Because imagine, there is no sucos there. It took a year of deliberation and a Minnesota senator petitioning for Siama's visa for his American chapter in the Midwest to begin. The path ahead was far from clear, but it was time for Siama to grow a new skin and to find his voice. Before he left Africa, a good friend and well-known musician at the time, Lovey Langomba, had a gift and a mandate for him. He told me, oh, you're going to the US now. I have a gift for you. I'm like, a gift? What's that? And he brought a microphone. I've, I've heard your voice for years. You are a beautiful singer. Yeah, you are a nice singer, but you don't use it. So start using it.
While the possibility of reaching new audiences was on the horizon, the pathway to a bigger stage was shrouded. Siyama wrote this song, Jungle Zombie, about how as a boy he'd wake up before sunrise to go to his parents' farm in a stupor. It also captures Siyama's start in the U.S. I worked in a recycle company here in Minnesota and it was so hard when you have to wake up in the morning and you are just working for six fifty seven dollars per hour. And I was like, oh, my life is over. I won't be a musician anymore. He was, he reached the level of mastery and then all of a sudden he moved to a new country where he didn't speak the language and he fell into obscurity, essentially. But what Siyama didn't realize is that his career wasn't in the trash bin. He just needed a spiritual, musical reincarnation. And a kick in the can. The wife at the time said, no, you are a musician. Don't throw it away. Do your music. Siyama's passion reemerged as a raging flame. He sought inspiration in every hidden corner, and he treated the guitar like he was learning it from scratch. I wanted to do everything. I was like, how if I learn how to read music? I started buying books, and I would buy books, not only advanced books, even books for really beginners, who like, they're just for kids. As an African guitarist, he was in demand. Several bands invited him to play, and he took in other styles, including reggae, blues, and jazz via osmosis. In these forums, he heard echoes of traditional music. I think traditional music is the music is more close to everything I hear here, like a blues, a jazz. You're saying that you could hear traditional music in these other music forms that you heard here? Yes, I can hear traditional music. That music. Back home, we call, we call it traditional music. That means like ancestors' okay. music. It is powerful in its own way. He was turning back to his ancestors' songs to push his music forward. I was like, I'm going to focus in that music when I compose my own music. Despite fitting into the scene, Siyama didn't see much in the way of a music career beyond playing bar gigs past the witching hour. He often felt... A kind of old... <laughs> kind of at that time I was like, I'm old guy, my time has passed of shining. And that was the person that I met um, was the one that was just kind of defeated and saying, well, it's kind of over, I'm still a happy person. Siama connected with Dallas, and for years they were in proximity, but not a thing. When they did get together, she saw something in Siama that he had yet to recognize. I just knew... I just felt like there's something there, and I just knew it. Dallas had been researching Siyama's legacy in Suku's history. She couldn't believe the number of bands he played for. This was confirmation of what she'd been hearing around town. Other local African musicians would mention Siyama's name with pride and deference. Do you realize who that guy is? And I'd be like, tell me, because he doesn't tell me, you know? Dallas and Siyama came upon a fellowship, which would open unforeseen doors for him. But he doubted himself. He said, people like me don't get those. I'm not from here. I don't get those. They just look at your application like, ah, God. That's the way I was thinking myself. She wanted Siyama to claim his space here in America. In 2014, I told him I was going to apply for a fellowship. And she encouraged me, let's apply for midnight. 
because this is the kind of thing they want to hear. So that opened me to think like, I can be somebody. Siyama made it through several rounds of selections, and he was one of nine bands chosen from 100 candidates that would be moving forward. So they can keep four. Then I was like, huh, I think I'm going to do something different than just what I do. Like, okay, I want this musician, I want that, that. He chose musicians who had never played together, who had their own diasporic traditions from Togo to Brazil and the U.S., he wanted the sound to be fresh and unrehearsed. They wouldn't let me go to the audition, of course, so I was just a nervous wreck. And um, I just thought, how, how is this going to work? How are you going to do it? The competition had whittled down to four bands. With the prize in sight, inspiration moved him. I just knew what idea I have, what I would bring them, will be beautiful from those people I choose. I didn't want it to be called Sukus. I just wanted to be called African music. And then uh, I told them we will all sit down like being in a concert. This was about Siama bringing out the fullness in the people around him. So when you come in, you bring your knowledge in these songs to change it. Don't be like, I want to play Sukus. No, you never played Sukus before. You play you. I will be in the foundation. I dare to, to hold you guys. After his final audition, he anxiously awaited the judge's response. Uh, first of all, I didn't believe. I thought, I thought my ear didn't hear the right thing. And once he got it, then he, he went from saying, that's not for me, to saying, it could be, to saying, I am. I am that person now. At the awards ceremony, Siama heard the words that confirmed what Dallas had known all along. Then the president of the U of M said, um, thank you, because these are times of great change in the world, and we need you. You're the ones who will bring us forward. I have goosebumps. Siama kept saying, how? Huh? What? What? Because I couldn't believe somebody. I I knew I'm nobody. (laughs) Now I'm getting recognized now. Like, wow. That was one of the only times I've ever seen Siama's eyes water. And then you realize it inspired you to want to do more because you realized that there was something important in what you do, right? Siama went on to create his album Rivers. In the album, he weaves together Suku's guitar and traditional music from back home. Also featured on the album are other musicians from around the world, including Indian, Tibetan, and American artists playing the Veena, Dranyen, and pedal steel guitar. Together they produce a distinct ensemble that is both adventurous and familiar. When I, I say home, my brain goes to my youngest. But now I don't feel that way anymore. Home is here because the music is here. Because we are like rivers coming from left to right and we meet. Siam remembers how we got a start. How in the village, everyone encourages you to join in making songs. This is what he tries to pass on to audiences today, particularly kids. He wants them to know that we are all relatives and that they have a place on the stage. Come, bring your little hand and sing. Just hear it. I can remember those moments. You know, so I think that the way I see that music, where that power came from, from my ancestors and my culture.
Thank you to Dallas Johnson for sharing her knowledge of Suku's history and of Siyama's contributions and legacy in the genre. This Afropop close-up was made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. But to keep this series going, we need your support. Visit afropop.org and make a donation. Every dollar counts. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Abby Ross Levine. <laughs>